Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fightful Boxing Podcast, September 26, 2019. I'm your host, Carlos Toro, and before we get into the show, I want to remind you to subscribe to our Fightful MMA and Boxing YouTube channel, as well as our Fightful Pro Wrestling YouTube channel. We've got tons of great content right there, and head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news in pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. The latest Fightful Boxing newsletter is out. You want to take a hit, take a good look at that. That's already up on the page on FightfulBoxing.com, as well as interview articles with the likes of David Benavides and Mario Barrios, who are going to be competing on the undercard, the pay-per-view card of Errol Spencer's Sean Porter this Saturday, September 26th on Fox Pay-Per-View. And we're going to spend a lot of time Time discussing that card. That's really going to be the main focus of this show. If also, if you're listening to this on iTunes, leave a uh, give us your feedback. Leave us a good review on iTunes. We really do appreciate that. Helps us out tremendously, and hopefully, add, you know, helps the exposure of this show as well as all the other Fightful podcasts, including the Fightful. Raw and SmackDown post shows, you know, the pro wrestling podcasts are going to have a bit of a a change that we're already seeing in terms of how many shows we're doing. Uh, Who's going to be on those shows? Sean Rassap is still going to be on the majority, if not all of those uh, Fightful pro wrestling podcasts, including Listing Your Boy with Jimmy Van, our Fightful owner. Always a great listen, listen, your boy with Sean Ross App and Jimmy Van. But now it's time for the Fightful Boxing Podcast. And I have not been on the show for the last few weeks, even though I, I said we're doing this weekly no matter what, but had a bit of a throat problem that really, really my voice was at the point where I really couldn't talk for two, three minutes. Uh, you know, straight, and I wasn't, and I didn't really feel comfortable. So I wanted to be a hundred percent, you know, healthy, or at least my throat be at a point where I can talk for more than two or three minutes and not have to take a pause every time. Because 
you know, that, that gives up. That gives me a lot of more editing time, and I really don't want that. So, rather do it all on one take, and really, what a week to come back here. It's the Errol Spence Jr. versus the versus Sean Porter preview show. You're going to hear from the two main event fighters, Mario, um, Errol Spence Jr. and Sean Porter, going to be unifying the WBC and IBF welterweight titles. You're also going to hear uh, from David Benavides and Anthony Durrell, who are going to be fighting for the WBC Super Middleweight World Championship in the co-main event, as well as from Mario Barrios, who is going to be fighting Batir Akhmedov for the vacant WBA regular junior welterweight title. And let's start off with this main event, Errol Spence Jr. versus Sean Porter. You know, there's a lot of interest in this fight, at least for me. Not just in the fight itself, but there is a lot to really look at and, and really kind of analyze and see what the direction for PBC is going to be based on what happened Saturday night. And based on what's going to happen in the ensuing weeks when we find out how many people watch the... Watch the prelim shows. How many people watch the uh, watch the pay per view? How many people bought the pay per view? That's really a, a story that obviously it, it does not concern Sean Porter or Errol Spence Jr. in the slightest bit right now. But for the future of you know boxing on you know or at least PBC on Fox, really the direction of going into this you know three four pay per views a year. It's a bit of a bold move after it kind of almost seemed like with HBO going out of business and Showtime not really being a, a premium cable channel that does a lot of pay-per-views. Really, they, they, they only ever do pay-per-views when, whenever Floyd Mayweather is in fighting in the main event. And in the case of earlier this year in January when Manny Pacquiao fought Adrian Broner. But aside from that... There were no other networks that really was showing pay-per-view events. And then all of a sudden, Fox comes out, and they had the Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury pay-per-view. Then they go into Errol Spence versus Sean, uh, versus Mike and Garcia. Now they're going Errol Spence versus Sean Porter. And overall, pay-per-view boxing, I think pay-per-view, I don't want to say that it's an outdated practice because there's always going to be pay-per-view no matter how many people will say pay-per-view is dead or pay-per-view is you know it's a thing of the past shouldn't be a thing anymore well I hate to break it to you that's really not how it works i mean there's always going to be pay-per-view so long as the demand for those kinds of fights or for those kinds of events happen you know it's still there and you look at PBC's approach, and they're using Fox as a this huge platform to really advertise and market a lot of these fights on pay-per-view, and it's hard to say that it hasn't worked out for them. I mean, you look at the pay-per-view buy rates for the Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury fight. That was uh, that was pretty successful. Uh, there, you know. I actually, no, I, I believe Deontay, I don't remember if Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury was uh, Showtime or or Fox. I think it was, I, it may have been Showtime, and I don't remember right off the top of my head. But the point stands that the PBC marketing for these pay-per-views has really, really been successful, in my opinion. 
I mean, you look at the pay-per-view buy rate for all the pay-per-views we've had this year and the Wilder Fury show that we had last year. And it's been, all, almost all of them have been just a little bit above average. And, you know, you and I and also Manny Pacquiao versus Keith Thurman, that's one that actually looking like it might do pretty well on pay-per-view. You haven't had, like, a confirmed number yet. I'm surprised no one's really reported on a more solid number other than the in the neighborhood of 500,000 buys, which is pretty good in boxing nowadays. But now you got Sean Porter and Errol Spence Jr., who are two guys who obviously are two of the five best welterweights in the world. Some may argue that Errol Spence Jr. is the best welterweight in the world. But being the best in your division doesn't necessarily guarantee you being a solid pay-per-view draw. I mean, you look at a guy like Gennady Golovkin, who for many was the best metalweight in the world, but before fa facing Canelo Alvarez, his pay-per-views didn't, didn't draw Jack. And you look at um, Sergey Kovalev, the two fights against Andre Ward, both on pay-per-view. Pay-per-buy rates weren't that good. But the key difference in all of those is that you didn't have a platform like Fox advertising and going up to bat for your fights. You don't the, the platform, the way pay-per-view is being marketed, it's it's very unique nowadays in the sense that you are. It's almost as if there's a. I don't want to say there's a forced marketing push because obviously you know you're marketing of course you want to try to you're pushing it out to the masses but there there's a, a lot more exposure on these fighters on fox programming and and really it's the idea that during let's say nfl games we put out into in front of you know what 20 million people that this fight is happening and it's going going to take place on, on pay-per-view then that going that that guarantees a good buy rate doesn't always happen but you look at at the way pay-per-view is being done and how fox is handling it it's a bit of a gamble because you look at because obviously fox is trying to make errol spence jr into this big pay-per-view star i mean there's no doubt about that and really, if Errol Spence Jr. wins this fight, you're obviously going to push hard. If you're fine, you're going to push very hard for Manny Pacquiao against Errol Spence Jr. next year. And what, you know, it doesn't have to be immediately in early 2020, but some point in 2020, that fight, I'm sure Fox would love to have because that would be a huge pay-per-view event, in my opinion. And you and it's hard to really imagine how this fight's gonna do on paper because you don't have two, you know, quote unquote mainstream stars. You don't have a guy of a Canelo Alvarez or a Manny Pacquiao or a Floyd Mayweather or a Gennady Golovkin level type of star. Errol Spence Jr. is a tremendous fighter, but I don't really see this performing that much better than the than, you know, his last fight against Mikey Garcia, which I think was, what, 325,000, 300,000 buys? I don't think, and, and the reason why I take so much time talking about this is because it's very interesting to take a look at the business of boxing and kind of how it's evolved. People are, you know, you look at ESPN and the zone, they're obviously, their whole thing is, they're, they're pushing more on of the online streaming 
schedule rather than a Fox or a Showtime where they're focused on television. And I'm not saying ESPN doesn't do television for boxing, but it's becoming abundantly clear that they're pushing more and more big fights on ESPN Plus and not on ESPN linear television. You can't really you you can debate on you can debate me on that, but I really don't think that the the focus is on, on television, but it's more on ESPN Plus online. But that's neither here nor there. And if this fight underperforms on pay per view. That could sort of drastically change just a little bit about Fox doing three, four, five pay-per-views a year. And that could really be significant because if Errol Spence Jr. doesn't draw well for this fight, and this is a real good test for Errol Spence Jr. You know, on, on pay-per-view in terms of gauging whether or not he's a major star or not. If Errol Spence Jr. performs well, then obviously Fox is going to put, you know, everything, every resource possible to try to push him as this generation's next big star. But if it doesn't, then we could potentially see maybe a bit of a shift in the 2020 Fox schedule where we're going to see more bigger fights land on Fox instead of saving some of those for pay-per-view. I think that's really important to note and seeing where this where this fight's going to happen. But I'm really excited for this fight regardless. I mean, we're talking just on the pure boxing aspect of of this fight. I love Errol Spence Jr. versus Sean Porter. I think it's going to be a tremendous fight. I think this fight is a lot closer than what some people may indicate really it's on the odd uh, on the odds makers i remember seeing odds like sean porter winning by decision but it's like something like plus 4400 or something like that i don't remember off the top of my head but the odds are really in errol spence jr's favor and i don't think it's and, and of course i can see why and i do think errol spence jr is gonna win but to say that this fight is you know is by and large, you know, a squash or, is, you know, Aerosmith Jr. is going to have an easy time against Sean Porter. I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. I mean, you look at Aerosmith Jr.'s run as champion and his fight that got him the IBF Welterweight Championship. It's not like Aerosmith Jr. was fighting against, you know, any you know, world beaters at welterweight. I mean, he won the title against Kel Brook, but that was a Kel Brook that was after that that he after he fought Gennady Golovkin. So he had one or broken orbital bone, and you can you can tell you can argue at that point. Maybe Kel Brook wasn't you know physically he wasn't a hundred percent, or simply you know that fight against Golovkin you know it did something to Kel Brook, and he was he's never been the same since then. And then he fought. Lamont Peterson, which I think a lot of people knew knew that fight was going to end with Sean, with Errol Spence Jr. stopping Lamont Peterson, and then came Carlos Ocampo, which you know I'm not saying Carlos Ocampo Ocampo is not a, a is not a, a good fighter, but that that one it was the reason why that fight was made was because the IBF had Ocampo as the mandatory challenger. And Errol Spence Jr., I mean, he looked at his, you know, 
Danny, he wasn't fighting Danny Garcia or Sean Porter next. He wasn't fighting Keith Thurman, but Keith Thurman was injured. So he figured might as well take, um, might as well get rid of the mandatory, get it out of the way, because we all know how strict the IBF can be when it comes to enforcing their mandatory fights to their champions. So now you go from Kel Brook, Lamont Peterson, Carlos Ocampo, and Mikey Garcia, who I'm not saying Mikey Garcia is not a bad fighter. He's a top 10 pound-for-pound guy, or at worst, top 15, top 20. But this was a guy who was making the jump from 135 to 147. And, and I thought to myself, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you can maybe talk yourself into thinking Mikey Garcia's boxing ability would be enough to carry him towards a win against Errol Spence Jr. But physically, Errol Spence had such a big advantage over Mikey Garcia. And let's be honest, Mikey, 147 is not Mikey's best weight. I mean, he was already considered a bit small for 140, and now you're telling me he's going to beat a guy like Errol Spence Jr. at 147? You know, obviously, that fight, some people thought it was a lot closer than many expected, but of course, hindsight is 2020. And so, he's never... Errol Spence Jr. has never really fought a guy like Sean Porter before, at least in the pro ranks, where it's a guy that's going to make the fight incredibly difficult... And he's a welterweight. I don't, I don't know if you want to say he's in his prime, but he's a top five welterweight. And you can't. And it's hard to argue. He's, Errol Spence Jr. has really fought a top five welterweight throughout his career, but now he's going to get that chance to do so. And Sean Porter, I think the the idea that his fight against Jordanis Ugas really took a uh, one took a lot out of him and. And two, did uh, show that Sean Porter really wasn't that good of a welterweight. Then really, he's kind of overrated. I think that's. I think that notion's a little bit overplayed and overblown because Sean Porter. I let's let's be honest. This was uh, Sean Porter uh, win against Jordan Suga. This was not his best performance. This was not. And and I remember when Sean Porter talked to me. He told me you're going to see the best Sean Porter against Jordanis Ugas. And when I looked at that fight, I didn't see the best Sean Porter. I did not look, I did not see. There there were flashes where I thought look good. He might you know he could do some stuff against Jordanis Ugas, but overall I, I thought he maybe he tried to play the little DQ, maybe try to outbox him when real uh, you know try to do too much to show he's a better boxer. When really his bread and butter is making the fight difficult you know, fighting aggressively on the inside and really kind of roughing up the opponent. The opponent. I know, obviously, the whole the the whole Sean Porter is a dirty fighter kind of tactic is you know can think is uh, that's prevalent. I don't think. I, I guess by today's standards, you can say Sean Porter's a bit of a dirty fighter. I don't really think you know if you were to put Sean Porter like in the seventies and eighties, he would not be considered a dirty fighter. It, not not in the slightest bit, but in today's era, I I, I, I can see why you make that uh, why you make that statement. But Sean Porter's a guy who, maybe from a boxing standpoint, doesn't necessarily you know have a leg to stand on in terms of being the absolute best welterweight in the world. But I think his 
overall ability and the fact that he's such a cagey fighter and he's very very physical and he makes fights uncomfortable doesn't make them pretty that's the thing he doesn't make fights pretty and he gets he's thinking sometimes get in your face he get, gets in your head and he really makes fights hard to win and you and and i would say this about just about anyone sean porter would face right now Sean Porter makes a fight against a guy like Keith Thurman or De or Errol Spence Jr. or Manny Pacquiao very difficult to win. And maybe it won't be the nicest, the cleanest win, but I do think that it will be a very, I, I think it will be closer than what some people may imagine. I still believe that Errol Spence Jr. is going to win this fight by decision. I think that's going to, I think in my opinion, Errol Spence Jr. wins this one. By unanimous decision, I'd say maybe he wins eight of the four round, uh, eight of the twelve rounds. One sixteen, one twelve. But I think it's going to be an entertaining fight at times. The one thing that I'm, I'm really interested in in seeing is whether or not Errol Spence Jr. lets his hands go and really go, really be, or uh, really is aggressive. Uh, unlike what we saw in Mikey Garcia, my Errol Spence Jr. really at, at times it almost looked like he just let his physical, you know, his physical gifts be what won him, you know, overpower Mikey Garcia. He didn't try that hard to knock him out. I don't know if maybe he, in a way, he was still a little bit cautious and trying to see whether or not Mikey Garcia was going to do something or counter with something big. But I do think that. Errol Spence Jr. maybe he was a little bit too cautious, especially late in the fight against Mikey Garcia. I don't think we're going to get that from Errol Spence Jr. I really don't. So I do think that Errol Spence Jr. is going to win this fight. I think, think that Sean Porter is going to look a lot better than what he did against Jordan Suga. And I do think Errol Spence Jr. is going to uh, throw more combinations and bigger shots to the body than what he did against Mikey Garcia. But... I did promise you that you would hear from Errol Spence Jr. and Sean Porter. And I did speak to both of them in a recent media call. And starting off with Sean Porter, I it was really interesting to see, you know, he is a guy who is who loves to you know, he loves you know, talking with guy uh, talking with people. He's a very very charismatic guy. He's very he, he's one of the more likable guys, and he's a very smart guy, one of the more likable guys in boxing right now. And I remember, go, go back to an interview I did with him a long time ago, earlier this year, before the Yordani Sugas fight, and I asked him straight up, do you want, you know, with pay-per-view now kind of being a thing, is that something that you would love to have one day, a pay-per-view man event? And he said, Absolutely. I would love to have a pay-per-view main event, and I would love to have one against Errol Spence Jr. or Keith Thurman or Manny Pacquiao. And now he finally got that. And so we kind of revisit that uh, very recently uh, last week when I asked Errol, uh, Sean Porter about being on this stage and whether or not this fight is what is what will decide who the best welterweight in the world is. Because that really is a very interesting topic. Who the best welterweight in the world is. Obviously, you can, the debate right now is either between Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. But if Sean Porter beats Errol Spence Jr., would you, would, would you all consider Sean Porter to be the best welterweight in the world? 
Here's what Sean Porter had to say about that. You know, your last fight against Jordanis Ugas was a really close one, and Errol Spence Jr. kind of carries a, a completely different style. He's, you know, from a, from a skill set standpoint, from a resume standpoint, from just about almost every angle you look at it. And when you look at Errol's style, how do you see that faring against your style compared to when you fought Ugas? Do you see yourself having an easier or harder time dealing with Errol compared to Ugas? And no comparison. I think styles make fights. I think, you know, you showed yourself the two completely different styles. Uh, I think that they both have, or, you know, in, in Dennis's case, had things that present um, problems for anyone that, that are in the ring. I think for me, I think my speed and my quickness against Errol Spence is, is definitely going to be superior. I think my, my foot movement is going to be superior, and I think that it's going to open up a lot more opportunities. I think that Dennis in the ring with me he was a little confused. He, he was expecting me to have a, a different style than I came to him with, and I think that that really shook him up. You know, so a lot the same. I'm expecting to shake up Errol Spence. You know, one of the things I remember when we spoke a couple of months ago was that you wanted to have a pay-per-view main event, you know, on your resume. And so now that you got that, especially in a title unification, how does it feel being on this type of unique platform that so few fighters have had the opportunity to headline a pay-per-view? It's been a lot of fun. Uh, it definitely has been an eye-opener as well. Uh, someone just sent me a picture telling me that the fight was going to be shown in theaters. And I already knew that, but, you know, to actually see it and, you know, have a preview of yourself at a movie theater is pretty cool. I'm at the theaters every other week, you know, so I'm going to do the best I can to sell the fight and let people know that they can go watch it at their local theater. And I, I think that that's awesome. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I've enjoyed it. I'm, I'm looking forward to fight week. I, I hope it gets even funner and gets more exciting. I know Funner's not a word, but I hope it gets even more exciting fight week. It's something that I've been looking forward to. You know, last question. Uh, given that the winner will have two of the four world titles from the sanctioning bodies, do you see this fight as the winner will be, should be considered the number one welterweight in the world? You know what I do? I think that I and myself and, and Neil Spence are the number one and number two guys. You, you call who you want to be number one and number two, but the best part about it is one is about to fight two and one is about to get eliminated. I think that after I beat Errol Spence, especially the way I beat Errol Spence, I think that this will keep me as the number one guy in the division. And that was and that was Sean Porter. And it was really, really interesting Really interesting dude. I, I love Sean Porter. Yeah, he's been on this show. He's been interviewed by Fightful tons of times in the past. Very, very uh, good guy. I do think he's the top five welterweight, but I don't think he... I, I just don't think from a physical standpoint, it's kind of the same thing as I said with Mikey Garcia. I don't, I don't think Sean Porter, phys, uh, you know, from a physical standpoint, has, you know, cast enough to overcome... Errol Spence Jr.'s power in inside boxing. It, he's a guy that Errol Spence Jr. is so physically gifted. He it's almost a miracle he can make 147 pounds with relative ease. He's really, really big for for a guy of his size. And he's very, very strong. He's incre he's an incredible fighter. But 
now you're kind of started. It's obvious Fox is taking the approach in regards to Errol Spence Jr. not just being the best welterweight in the world. Errol Spence Jr. It's now Errol Spence Jr. Let's make him one of the biggest stars in boxing. And now it's he's getting a second fight on pay-per-view. Second straight pay-per-view main event. It's hard to really imagine when's the last time we saw that. From someone that wasn't named Canelo Alvarez or Manny Pacquiao or Floyd Mayweather or even Gennady Golovkin. Actually, I don't even think Gennady Golovkin has ever headlined two straight pay-per-view. Actually, no, he did. He did. Uh, Danny Jacobs and the first Canelo Alvarez fight. Those were HBO pay-per-views back-to-back for Gennady Golovkin. But really, it's hard to argue. I, I... Aside from the big names in boxing in the last few years, not that many can claim that they've headlined two straight pay-per-views. And so, obviously, with that comes maybe a lot of distractions, a lot of, a lot of you know, outside commitments that may take away the focus from the fight. And I can see, and, I, and there are some fighters who aren't a fan of all the stuff that you have to, all the media obligations you have to do. But Aerosmith Jr. seems to be the kind of guy that is okay with doing that. The kind of he understands it comes with the territory of being a world champion, one of the one of the faces of PBC. And I asked him about being on this stage for a second straight time and whether or not it was easier for Aerosmith Jr. to sort of be able to prepare for this fight and also fulfill all of his media obligations this time around compared to his fight against Mikey Garcia. So here's Aerosmith Jr. You know, my first question, you know, obviously, you know, the last fight against Mikey Garcia, that was a pay-per-view event. Now, this one being your second pay-per-view event. When it comes to sort of, I guess, dealing with the media or any obligations that you've had that didn't doesn't necessarily correlate to preparing for the fight itself against Sean Porter, do you think that it's been easier this time around just because you've had the experience of preparing for a pay-per-view event against Mikey Garcia? Or would you say this is more or less the same? Um, I think it's, it's a lot easier. It was the first fight. I mean, my first, my first review, I was, you know, traveling to New York doing things and, you know, then going back to California doing things. So, you know, I was basically, you know, going in and out of camp, doing other, other different things. So I would say the first time it was, it was, it was harder than the second go around. Yeah, I asked Sean this question earlier in the call, and I wanted to ask uh, pose this question to you. Do you believe the winner of this fight should be considered the best welterweight in the world, given that the winner will hold two of the four world titles from the sanctioning bodies? Uh, definitely. Um, I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, the winner is the unified champion, so I definitely think you know it, it should be considered you know number one welterweight in the world. Well, I consider myself as number one worst way in the world anyway, so, I mean, with myself holding two belts, I mean, it's just making, you know, my last side. And that was Errol Spence Jr. Boy, I mean, I like Errol Spence Jr. I think right now he is, in my opinion, the second best welterweight in the world. But if he looks damn impressive against Sean Porter, and I mean completely dominates him. You know, I can be I can be talked into calling Aerosmith Jr. the best welterweight in the world. I can definitely be, you know, you can convince me. I would still have Terrence Crawford up at my number one right now, but 
Who knows? Maybe, maybe in three days. Ask me again that question in three days. Maybe I'll have a different answer. So, obviously, this is not the only fight on this card. Not the only fight on this card. Not the only world title fight on this card. You got in your co-main event, Anthony Durrell, defending his WBC Super Middleweight title against David Benavides. And for those who are not aware of the story heading into this fight, it's very interesting. It goes all the way back to September 2018, almost a year exactly to this day. David Benavides, already the WBC Super Middleweight Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Champion. He lost the title after failing uh, a drug test for, I forgot the exact name because it's, a, because it's a ridiculously long name, but essentially the central compound found in cocaine, he failed for that. And so David Benavides lost his title, but he was promised you will get your shot eventually to win back the title. In the meantime, Anthony Durrell goes on to beat Avni Yildirim uh, very, by very, very controversial circumstances via technical de decision to become the WBC Super Middleweight Champion. And now you kind of have this three-man dance between Anthony Durrell, David Benavides, and Afni Yildirim surrounding the WBC title. Of course, everyone in PBC and in boxing is talking about David Benavides against Caleb Plant. As in, you know, in my opinion, that could be, that might just end up being the best fight at Super Middleweight you could possibly make right now. You can make a really strong case for that. But it's hard to ignore the Yildirim size elephant in the room. And that is, you know, the winner of this fight. Will gonna is gonna have to fight against Yildirim because Yildirim was promised he will get another shot after David Benavides got his shot that he was also promised, and now it's now kind of become this bat this matchup of the old lion trying to fight not just David Benavides off but also retirement. David Benavides, I mean Anthony Durrell earlier this year kind of was hinting at potentially retiring at some point this year. And he wanted to go out, you know, he wanted to make sure he wanted to go get out of the sport on his own terms and not when he's way past his prime, he's too old, and he overstayed his welcome. And, and it's a very interesting uh, thing to listen Anthony Durrell discuss that. When I asked Anthony about whether or not this fight will have any implications to his potential retirement if and when that happens 
after this fight. So we, we will see if Anthony Durrell is in fact going to retire. And here is what Anthony Durrell had to say about this fight. When we talk about a guy like David Benavides, who's this young, very aggressive fighter, who's you know who has tremendous power, when you look at a fight like that, a fighter like that, do you kind of view that maybe that there you know there's still a lot of growing when it comes to a fighter like that? And as a fighter with your levels of experience, do you see that maybe an advantage for you to sort of try to? figure out, uh, exploit maybe that inexperience against guys at the world level? I mean, I, I think everybody has power, especially with 10-ounce gloves on. I don't know what kind of power he got. Every fighter he knocked out, he was supposed to knock out. Just like every fighter I knocked out, I was supposed to knock out. Uh, but like I say, that I, I think, you know, styles make fights at the end of the day. I'm going in there looking for the knockout. I'm going there doing what I, I need to do to win this fight. If I don't get the knockout, I definitely can go 12. Uh, and, and I'm just prepared. I'm mentally, physically, and, and ready for this fight. I recall, if I recall correctly, there was a point earlier this year where maybe there were some talks about retirement and that maybe you want to end your career with a title win. And now you've already got that title win. Is there is retirement or talks about retirement still somewhat in the back of your mind after you approach your fight? Or is that something that you've kind of put uh, put on hold for now? I mean, you don't think of retirement in a fight this big. You think of you think of the fight. You think of the task at hand. Uh, was was I thinking about retiring after the last fight? Of course. Uh, I'm getting older, and and I want to spend time. I can, I'm not getting older enough where somebody's going to come in there and just whoop me or beat me. And I'm going to be prepared, fully ready for this fight. And I can't wait to ha it happen on the 28th. And that was WBC super middleweight champion Anthony Durrell. But now moving on to the other side, David Benavides, obviously this really young kid, he's, you know, he has all the talent in the world, and he made a mistake last year, he obviously, he owned up to it, and he's a guy who, it, it almost seemed like he has taken, you know, he has taken that experience, and he's learned from it. I, I can see, I can sense, just by talking to David Benavides, that he's a more mature person. And sometimes a, a mistake like that could, could cost you tremendously, not just in your career, but in your life. I mean, look, cocaine is not a joke. I mean, that's that kind of goes without saying. Cocaine is no joke. And obviously it can do irreparable harm to, uh, to a guy, especially as young and with so much promise as David Benavides. But it almost does seem like he has learned from that, and now look, is, looks hungrier. He looks better. He looks more focused, more disciplined. We saw that in the win against Jillian Love back in March. He looked phenomenal in that fight. Of course, he was expected to beat Jillian Love, you know, stopping him early on in the fight. But it almost kind of did seem like David Benavides was this was a improved version of David Benavides, not just as a boxer, but as a person. I asked him about, you know, learning from that as it was essential, almost, basically the one-year anniversary of the news of him failing that drug test being public. And I asked him, 
what's the difference between the David Benavides from back then to the David Benavides we see right now? You know, it's been a year, almost a year, since the positive drug test result came out and you've certainly owned up to it and you're now back into this position where you're fighting for a world title. What about you has changed between a year ago when you failed the drug test and now? You know, what's changed is that, you know, I'm just getting, I'm getting out there more in the trade. You know, I feel like the situation did more good to me than bad. You know, it's made me uh, realize that everything can be lost. Uh, you know, with, with over a day, you know what I mean? So um, it took, definitely took that to mature me and see that I'm not going to, you know, work my whole life, have my whole life's work taken away over one, you know, one long, uh, one area. So, you know, I'm, I'm more dedicated, you know, but I'm, I'm going to value things way more, you know, and this is this is just a fight I'm not... is a great fighter, he's a champion, I take nothing away from him, but I need these, these fighters. You know, so I feel like, you know, I'm older, I guess I'm stronger than last year, I'm faster than last year, I'm smarter. You know, my boxing IQ is higher, and I'm... You know, when I'm put in, in, these, in these type of situations, you know, I never feel, you know, I just, the best comes out of me. You know, this is my second pay-per-view fight uh, that I'm going to be a, a, a co-headlining. And I'm just, this is where I want to be in my whole life, so I'm not going to, I'm going to take full advantage of this situation. You know, the last time I spoke to you was actually in a media call from the from your last fight against Jillian Love, and you mentioned how, you know, you never really felt like you, you know, you never truly lost the title because, you know, you never lost it in the ring. Now, when you saw Anthony Durrell win the title, what did it make you feel? Did you feel like maybe he was not truly the champion and it made you all the more hungrier to show Durrell that you are the rightful WBC champion? Definitely. You know, I, I felt it as soon as he fought for the belt in February because I fought, was it two or three weeks after that? So, you know, it was very hard just to go through that, seeing him win a title that was mine. But, you know, I, you know, it, um, I, he's the real champion. You know, he fought for the vacant title, so I'm not going to take that away from him. But knowing that that was my belt that I have, you know, I'm just coming in this fight very hungry, very motivated. You know, I have about three, three and a half months training. You know, so I'm, I was very focused for this training camp. You know, so I'm just this is the best David Benavides you guys are ever that you guys are gonna see um, that you guys have seen actually. So um, I'm very excited going there and give a great fight and get my title. But and that was David Benavides. You know, David. Uh, you know, he's an incredibly talented young man. He's he's a phenomenal boxer. I have, you know I think he has all the talent in the world to be the best super middleweight out there. And this is a very loaded division. Obviously, as I mentioned, you got Caleb Plant, you got Calum Smith, you got John Ryder, you have Billy Joe Saunders, you got guys like Caleb Truax and Alfredo Angulo, who just is coming off a win against Peter Quillen, a bit of a surprise, minor upset win on FS1 not too long ago. And, and I think this fight's going to be pretty good. I think David Benavides will win back the WBC Super Middleweight title. I don't know if this is going to go the distance. I really don't. I think David Benavides. From a physical, you know, physically, I think he's incredible, and his power, his aggression, it's in—it's almost otherworldly for someone as young as he is. I think David Benavides is going to stop Anthony Durrell. I'm going to say 
eighth, ninth round stoppage. I wouldn't be surprised if he stopped him sooner, but listen, Anthony Durrell's a crafty veteran. He's he's never been stopped before. He's never been knocked out. He's got up against a lot of big names throughout his career, but he has passed his prime. And he had a tough fight against Avni Yildirim. And David Benavidez certainly, in my opinion, a much better fighter than Avni Yildirim. So I think David Benavidez is going to come out on top and become a two-time champion. And we also got another world title fight on tap. This one, you know, you can argue whether or not the WBA regular title means something. Whether or not... You know, people can say, oh, well, this fight doesn't, you know, this title means nothing. This title, it shouldn't be considered a world title. That's what a lot of people say. That's what I think. You know, I don't think the regular title uh, should be considered a world title. But the WBA pushes it that way. And some, and the fighters that are in these types of fights for that title, they do took, they do look at it as a world title fight. They know, they, they hear they hear all the chat on social media. They 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 know that. But even still, winning that title is big for their careers. And now you have a case where Mario Barrios and Patir Akhmedov are going to be fighting for the vacant WBA regular junior welterweight title. Now you may ask yourself, the regular title, the WBA, 140 pounds, isn't Regis Prograde already the WBA champion? Yeah, well... The WBA, in its quote-unquote infinite wisdom, thought it would it, it, another title must be made. There has to be a secondary title of 140 pounds. Even though Regis Progress just won the title and he's going to be in a unification bout. And technically, they don't really have what, a, a mandatory challenger, but they have to make a secondary title. And that's where we are right now between Mario Barrios and Batir Akhmedov. And Barrios is a very interesting case. Very, very rarely do we see guys of that size. Uh, Bytrak, you think, has him like 5'11". I think he's actually closer to 6 foot, maybe a little more than 6 feet tall. Fight at 140 pounds. I mean, obviously, there are rare cases nowadays. You got guys like Ray Vargas, who's very, very tall at 122 pounds. And you got guys like Sebastian Fundora, who is this... He is literally a towering inferno, as his nickname shows. At six foot seven, I think it's six foot seven, fighting at 154 pounds. And Barrios is almost kind of similar in that case, where this is very, very tall, very, very big, you know, fighter for his weight class, still somehow making weight with relative ease. So now Barrios. Undefeated, he's only 24 years old, but he's already being hailed as one of the best prospects out there in the 140-pound division. Going up against another guy who many consider to be a very, very good prospect at 140 pounds in Batir Akhmedov. And so, now you've got a very interesting fight between two unbeaten prospects for a title. That's very, very rare in the United States because the way boxing in the U.S., is uh, is sort of made is that you build up your prospects you give them give, uh, easy wins for the first dozen or so fights then you kind of start building him up slowly but surely maybe putting a, a crafty veteran or two and, and you know while you build him up as a legit contender and then maybe you put him on TV and then you start build, pushing him as a legit world title contender this is not really the case with Barrios Barrios 
isn't just facing a veteran, or at least a veteran of the pro ranks. He's facing a someone who's essentially at the same stage of his career, albeit with less pro fights, in Batir Akhmedov. And obviously, a fight like this usually makes for amazing fireworks. And you look at the guys like Mario Barrio and Batir Akhmedov, those are two guys who are going to steal the show, in my opinion. I think this, this could be the best fight of the entire night. I spoke with Mario Barrios very briefly about what it meant to be on this stage, fighting for this world title, and really taking this fight and, and making it a statement bout for his... For, for the rest of the 140-pound division, which you got Regis Prograis and Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez holding world titles. Mario Barrios believes this fight will not just elevate him near the top of the 140-pound division, but also sends a statement to those champions. But look, it's no secret that Mario Barrios' time at 140 pounds isn't that long. He will eventually make the jump to welterweight, but he's not willing to go up to welterweight without maybe fighting a champion or two and picking up a title or two along the way. Here's Mario Barrios as I spoke to him earlier this week. You know, you've mentioned in the past, you know, that there will probably come a point where you might have to think about moving up to 147 pounds, but that time hasn't arrived yet. And I wanted to ask, you know, is this fight being for the WBA title, was that sort of, you know, incentive for you to try and stay at 140 pounds a little longer? Or was that some, always the plan to stay at 140 pounds through the rest of the year? Um, you know, that was... Um that was my plan originally, you know, with the move up, uh, you know, to, um, you know, to try to dominate and, and um, you know, to try to fight for as many of the world titles, you know, as I possibly could. You know, right now I'm still making the weight uh, comfortably. I mean, so, I mean, that, that goal, you know, is going to remain the same. I mean, uh, I mean, there's no doubt, you know, I'm going to move up to uh, Walter weight eventually. But, um, you know, that, that time, it, it isn't now. You know, in this very, you know, very loaded division that has, you know, as it was mentioned, Regis Pro, Greg, Jose Ramirez, Josh Taylor. Do you look at this fight and the platform that you're on, being on pay-per-view on such a big event, as sort of a statement fight to those aforementioned champions saying that you've arrived and you have your case being made for being one of the best junior welterweights in the world? You know, that's, um... That's exactly how how, um, how I look at it, you know. I mean, you know, winning this fight, you know. I mean, I I feel you know I've you know really proven myself, you know, my past few fights. But uh, you know, this one for sure. I mean, you know, it's gonna put you know all of you know the, the world champions on notice, you know, that you know I'm right there. I'm right there knocking on you know the the door, you know, to to be fighting them next. And that was Mario Barrios. Going up against Batir Akhmedov on Saturday, September 28th. What a real, what a great fighter! Those, what a, what great fighters those two are. I mean, those are tremendous prospects. As I mentioned, I think that fight's going to be the best fight of this entire pay per view. Don't care. Some people may say that the opening bout between Jose Tito Lopez and John Molina Jr. might steal the show. I think Batir Akhmedov and Mario Barrios are going to do just that on Saturday night. And now a quick look and just kind of quick look at the rest of the, at least the televised portion of this 
event. Uh, you got, as I mentioned, Josito Lopez and John Molina Jr. Uh, not much at stake there in that fight, but I think that's a really, really fun fight. Uh, Josito Lopez gave Keith Thurman some trouble, some early trouble in January when those two fought on uh, on Fox at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And John Molina Jr., look, we all know John Molina Jr. is maybe not necessarily a world title contender, but he is a guy that will make fights very fun and very interesting. I think that's going to be a very fun fight. I think Hostito Lopez wins this one just barely by on decision, but I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a good one. And then you got on the FS1 prelims, you got um, Robert Guerrero against Jerry Thomas. Look, old man Robert Guerrero. I mean, look, I will give him this. He certainly has not looked bad ever since coming out of retirement. It's just it feels weird seeing. Robert Guerrero still fighting at this stage of the game when he's still really, you know, when, look, when the last time he was on national television, or at least in the main event of a national televised card uh, event, he would look terrible. And I thought, he's done. He shouldn't be fighting anymore. And of course, Jerry Thomas is not someone that if you beat him, he, you know, you're really, you're really putting yourself in that world time. No, it's not. Robert Guerrero, I mean, if he wants to keep fighting a little for a little while longer, I mean, more power to him. I just, I just don't think he has anything left to prove at this stage of the game. And then lastly, Joey Spencer against Travis Gambardella. Uh, Spencer's is a really, really good prospect. I, I gotta say, he is one of my favorite prospects of the, you know, in PBC right now. It's, I don't know whether it's, at times, I look at Joey Spencer and, and I think to myself, this kid, there's a lot to, to like about Joey Spencer. He's, he's tough. He's very, he's very aggressive. He's a, he's a solid fighter. But you look at, you look at the names he's put, like, of course, he's going to win, he's going to dominate a lot of the fights that, uh, or actually every fight that PBC has given him thus far. And it's not going to, it's going to be the same case against Travis Gambardella, but I, I don't know, but, you know, I think Joey Spence is going to win this one fairly easily as, you know, same with Robert Guerrero in his fight. Uh, I think those are going to be just more showcase bouts uh, for those two. I really don't think they're going to be that competitive at all. Uh, I hope they don't end up being the stinker that was the Athens 1 prelims for the Aerosmith Jr. Mikey Garcia fight. And I'm talking about the... I don't even want to talk about that fight. But I believe... now, now, Now I'm actually even blanking out on the name. Because I try so hard to make sure that I don't have that, that I forget about it. It was, it, it was Charles Martin versus Gregory Corbin. That's right. Now I remember Charles Martin against Gregory Corbin, which was on the FS1 prelims for Aerosmith's Universe, Mikey Garcia. God, that was one of the worst fights I've ever seen. One of the worst heavyweight fights I've ever seen. It was really bad, and it gave us one of the most unsatisfying conclusions ever, which was Gregory. Um, Charles Martin beating Gregory Corbin by DQ because Gregory Corbin could not stop hitting Chris, uh, Charles Martin in the dick. Simple as that. He just couldn't stop hitting him in the dick, and that's why the fight was stopped. And it was eight fights too long, uh, eight rounds too long. One of the worst fights I've ever seen this year. So, but hopefully, none of the the FS1 prelims this time around will not be as bad. 
And that about wraps it up for this edition of the FIFO Boxing Podcast. I did not think I would spend this much time talking about this fight, but I really, but there is a lot to love about this fight. It's a very interesting uh, fight, just, you know, from, with seeing how Errol Spence Jr. is going to do against a solid welterweight who's not past his prime, who's not physically compromised, who's not coming up from two weight divisions below, or, you know, is... Simply not ready for that level. It's going to be interesting seeing how Errol Spence, uh, how Errol Spence Jr. does against Sean Porter. That's with the rest of the card. I think this is going to be a very, very fun card. A very, very good event, in my opinion. Uh, really quick, but I do want to run down uh, really quick some of the news in the world of boxing. Uh, you know, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, you had the Tyson Fury fight against Otto Valin, and I, I have written about this ad nauseum but, uh, on Fightful.com about the controversy that was the ESPN basically telling Ben Davison, uh, Tyson Fury's trainer, that the cut from, that Tyson Fury got in third round was from a punch and not from a headbutt that he originally thought. And really, that you know, I tweeted about it. It caused a massive firestorm on social media. I got called a lot of, a lot of names, including one, my absolute favorite. I got called... Uh, because of my tweet regarding the, uh, me saying e- there's some serious media uh, ethical questions surrounding the ESPN Ben Davis and Tyson Fury thing, I had someone call me a little twink twerp. That was, yeah, and I just, I lost it. I thought that was one of the funniest, most ridiculous things I've ever heard. I, I, I thought to myself, you know, Goddamn, I wish I had the creative power, uh, the creative juices to think of something like that. Think of something as ridiculous as that. But, I do think that that was something that needed to be brought up. Tyson Fury is not someone who, you know, obviously, he's not someone, you know, who was, who was taking autovaling lightly, or at least, you know, he didn't take him lightly late in the fight, but to a certain extent, I thought that ESPN, uh, as I wrote about it on Fightful.com, I thought ESPN shouldn't have interfered, or at least gotten the way and got themselves directly involved in the fight again, uh, you know, in the fight by telling Ben Davidson the nature of the cut. That's what's a Nevada Commission job and not an ESPN's uh, broadcaster's job. I don't, I'm not saying Joe Tessitore or Bernardo Osuna, uh, you know, were, were thinking, look, man, we got to make sure Tyson Fury wins no matter what. Obviously, Tyson Fury is the ESPN fighter. He is the house fighter. Of course, ESPN has a financial interest in having Tyson Fury win. But I think that the way I looked at it is I thought, you know, ESPN, uh, Joe Tessitore was kind of was thinking in... Fairness and trying to do the right thing uh, for for boxing, and trying to make sure all sides knew what was up. But the thing is, and I kind of and I put this question up in my article: If the roles were reversed, would would there have been as much concerned with uh, in trying to make sure uh, Ottavalin's trainer knew what was up with the cut? That's that that is a legitimate question to ask, and I don't know if. I have the right answer. Of course, you're going to say, "Well, of course we do. Of course we do. That's that's what we want to make sure all the parties know we have, have all the correct information." And I applaud them in, tr- in the sense that they were trying to do the right thing. 
but that's but here's the thing the mistake was on the Nevada State uh, Athletic Commission's uh, for not telling Tyson Fury and his corner of what the cut was so, uh, was supposed to be ruled from like it was they thought it was a headbutt and they thought and you know, if it was from a headbutt, they would think, all right, let's just pack it in. If the cut is too bad, let's not worry about it and just take the no contest and that's it. Everybody goes home happy. Well, we go home happy because we don't get the loss and Deontay Wilder rematch stayed alive. But because it came from a clean punch from Adovalin, that changes the whole dynamic of the fight. And now, and obviously because ESPN told them that, they obviously it changed the dynamics. It changed how Tyson Fury approached the bout midway through the fight. But, I mean, hey, I'm not saying that if ESPN hadn't done anything, Arvalin would have, right now, would have been victorious. But I'm saying there is a role ESPN and the media at large to fulfill. And there is a role for the commissions and for judges and for officials to fulfill. There's a role. They have a job to do. If one side's job is not done correctly... It's not the responsibility of the other per, of the other entity to have to do it. It's not the, you know, it's not the responsibility of their entity to sort of correct. That's not their job, and so that's what is essentially what I was trying to get my point across in my article with Fifle.com. And I do recommend you check it out. And not to toot my own horn, but it's uh, I, I think I, I covered a lot of the bases pretty well with this fight. And right before we. Full officially close down this episode of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. A uh, really quick rundown, b- bit of a shout out to to my boys over there at AsianBoxing.info for you know it's been it was the a few days ago it was the one year anniversary of what I would consider one of the greatest flyweight world title fights in history between you know Sho Kimura and Kosei Tanaka. And they were, and that, and I still, I thought in my opinion that was the best boxing fight of 2018. I think best boxing fight still today. You know, uh, since then, since 2018, I still think that was the, one of the best fights I, I've ever seen in my life. And I do recommend you guys check that out. I love that fight. It was, it was crazy I, I i called it uh back then i and i still stand by now one of the greatest flyweight world title fights i've ever seen in my fight shokimura kosei tanaka from from japan in september 2018 the guys over there at asianboxing.info they were along with cbc the japanese broadcaster they were responsible for making that fight available to watch for free worldwide you know have a legal stream uh, on youtube they were they, they were essential in not just raising the profile of kosei tanaka but also shining a light on japanese boxing in general there is maybe a niche market into and have in asian boxing and you know in those title fights but there is a legitimate interest in seeing top, you know, fighters from all over the world fight. There are people that will talk about that and will love to watch those fights live. Doesn't always happen. As much as we would love to see, you know, a lot of the great boxing cards in in, in Japan live for free. Not always going to be the case. But when you, but when guys like Asian boxing do 
just that and give us a chance to watch these kinds of fights, we end up getting something absolutely special. And I really cannot thank those guys, the team over there, for helping make that fight happen. I wish them the best of luck, and we got a phenomenal fight. Uh, between Kosei Tanaka and Shokimura. And this week was the one year anniversary. I just wanted to point that out. For those who have not seen that fight, please check it out. Kosei Tanaka versus Shokimura for the WBO Flyweight title. That about wraps it up for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. Head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news in pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. Fightfulboxing.com if you just want to focus on the boxing stuff. I'm Carlos Toro from the Fightful Boxing Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Carlos360. That's Carlos, T-O-R-O, 360 on Twitter. Carlos Toro, signing out. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.